It is a Wednesday, the 19th of January, 2022. How are you this afternoon? Are you good? Are you good? That's good to hear. Thanks for joining me. It's Richie Allen with you live from Salford for the next, I don't know, 90 minutes, at least two hours. Who knows? But I'm with you. Drop me a line through the website richieallen.co.uk and you're very, very, very welcome to the programme. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Lovely to be with you, to be with you, absolutely lovely. I have a first world problem today, a first world problem. The Richie Allen Show, you see, it has a mobile phone, a business phone. And every couple of years, they send me a brand new phone. And this year, I thought to myself, you know what I'll do? I won't go with the brand of phone that I always go with, which was Samsung. I'll go with a different type of phone. Not that I'm into phones, not that I play with them, I do not. But I thought just a change is as good as a rest. Get rid of that music there. So I said, no, I won't go with the latest Samsung Give me that Apple thing instead. Sure, they're all as bad as one another, aren't they? And I can't use it, really. I I can't figure it out. And there's no instruction manual with it. So I'll be answering the phone a bit less than than I normally do. And I'll be making a few less phone calls as well. Anywho, are you well this afternoon? Listen, this is uh, unusual and, and most unprofessional, but... You know, I suppose I've I've earned the right to be a little bit unprofessional. Um, there's a race at Leopardstown at four minutes past five. Leopardstown. A horse race, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, now, Leopardstown is in Ireland. It's a lovely name, Leopardstown. I'll tell you a little bit of trivia now. You, you might This might come in handy during a, a table quiz. Leopardstown got its name during the famine when the Brits stole all of the food and transported it out of Ireland to the colonies, to the to the navy ships. That's where Leopardstown got its name. You see, our African brothers and sisters hated the Brits just as much as we did back in the day. They hated them for making slaves out of them and sending them to the Caribbean and whatnot. So the Africans sent us leopard meat, which was shipped to the place we call Leopardstown today. It's a great bit of history that. It doesn't often come up. Anyway, Jean Ann Crowley, who has a couple of horses or Connemara ponies, knows a thing or two about the GGs. Does Jean Ann. Has the occasional flutter. So she said, I've got a tip, Richie, for a horse, a horse even, that's going in a race at four minutes past five in Leopardstown today. Now, the horse is called It's Only a Cold. That's the name of the horse. And it's running in a minute. Now, this race should have been run just before Christmas, but it was called off after several jockeys tested positive for the old COVID. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to very sneakily tap into Today FM in Dublin in Ireland. and They're broadcasting this race. I have a few bob on uh, this horse called It's Only a Cold. I think they're just about to start the race. Now, this race should have taken place about uh, three or four days before Christmas. Leopardstown... 
let's see. Our horse is cold. It's only a cold. Let's see, can we do this now? Sorry about this now, but I have a fiver on this, you know. They're off. They're off in the Christmas COVID handicap hurdle. And first to show is Omicron Lad. Omicron Lad being closely followed by the Booster. The Booster. <laughs> Omicron Lad in a bit of an early race here with each other. The Booster and Omicron Lad. Antigen test trying to get in there. Antigen test. Omicron Lad. The Booster. Track and Trace trying to get a look in, but he looks to be struggling early doors, I'm afraid. Track and Trace. Antigen test on the outside. Here comes HEPA filters. HEPA filters uh, being followed by the booster. Omicron lad. Omicron lad, the booster. Omicron lad not giving an inch to the booster. HEPA filters. Here comes New Year's Eve. Absolutely cruising on the outside. Everybody talking about this one. New Year's Eve looking confident and assured. The booster. Omicron lad. HEPA filters. Track and trace is knackered. He's gone. New Year's Eve is coming fast. Sudden spike. Sudden spike appears out of nowhere. Sudden spike, the big danger. New Year's Eve, the booster plugging away gamely with Omicron lad. New Year's Eve, sudden spike. Here comes leave them kids alone. Leave them kids alone. <laughs> sudden spike, New Year's Eve. And a late challenge from it's only a cold. Go on, it's, it's only, only a, cold. a cold. Sudden spike, leave them kids alone. The booster, fourth dose. Nobody saw this one coming. Fourth dose out of nowhere. It's only a cold. Fourth dose. It's only a cold. Leave them kids alone. Fourth dose. It's only a cold. Oh, I have no idea how they're going to sort this one out, to be honest with you. They all crossed the line together. New Year's Eve just crossing the line now. Absolutely spent. And Track and Trace is still running, would you believe? That's off to the glue factory for Track and Trace then. We'll have to wait to hear from the stewards to see if it's only a cold one by a runny nose. Right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a tune and then we're going to talk about the news. This is The Proclaimers. My name is Richie Allen. Good afternoon. When I wake up, well I know I'm going to be I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you when I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. There, Proclaimers at 10 minutes past five, the Richie Allen Show for Wednesday Drive Time. By the way, that clip I played, thank you, Phil Restino in Florida, one of the kindest and nicest gentlemen I've ever met, particularly in my independent media journey. Phil is a lovely fella, great activist. He sent me that clip. That was Mario Rosenstock, who's a brilliant Irish impressionist and comedian. He works with Today FM. That was broadcast on Today FM before Christmas. I didn't ask their permission to play it, but I can't imagine they'd be annoyed with me. It's very funny stuff, that. It's only a cold. God damn right, it's only a cold. I don't know, if we have time later on, there is another Mario Rosenstock clip, which I can't even talk about it without laughing. It's a skit he did on Today FM about 10 years ago about the... No, I won't tell you who it is. I'll dig it out and I might play it a bit later on because we need a few laughs, don't we? Please message me through richieallen.co.uk. It's all about the energy. Now... Great crack altogether today. Did you see Prime Minister's questions from the House of Commons? 
well, it all kicked off. Great crack, as I said, all together. Now, today you had Conservative Party MPs sending letters of no confidence to Sir Graham Brady, he of the 1922 committee. They were doing that overnight. If 54 letters of no confidence go in, that immediately triggers a vote. MPs would get to vote whether to boot Bojo, boot Boris Johnson, or to keep him as Prime Minister. It would appear 54 letters, the threshold of 54, hasn't yet been reached. Why is all this happening? Well, just in case you don't know, there were plenty of parties going on at Downing Street. There were wheelbarrows and suitcases full of beer and wine being brought in around about the time that poor, the poor old Duke of Edinburgh was, was being laid to rest and the old queen was sitting there on her own obeying the rules. Yeah. By the way, Denise Welch, the actress, she made a very good point on ITV's Loose Women programme the other day. She said that this is basically monumental bollocks, that the queen was basically acting as an actress that only a few days after that, the Queen was pictured mingling with lots of people at some event or other. Anyway, that the Queen was basically playing her part in convincing people to follow these ridiculous, arbitrary and totally unnecessary rules. So Johnson is under pressure because, you know, I I wasn't aware of any party. and, And then, of course, he was seen at the party. And then he was saying he didn't know that it was against the rules and all of this. And he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. That's what he's in. Right? None of this matters. A damn, of course. You and I know this, but Asher, it's good crack to talk about it anyway. So, all of this is going on, and would you believe, just before Prime Minister's questions today, 15 minutes before, a Tory MP, a Tory MP, only went and defected to Labour. What kind of fuckery are you? Ah, hilarious stuff, that. 15 minutes before, a guy called Christian Wakeford, Berry South, I believe. Berry is only around the corner from Salford. He defected. He ran away with Labour. He ran away with Keir Starmer. They've eloped halfway down the country somewhere. Basingstoke Services. <laughs> That's where they are. Right, so he crossed the floor, which is absolute treachery, and joined Labour just before Bojo had to answer the questions. Maybe a little bit more on the defection of Christian Wakeford a bit later on, maybe. But it was a bad, bad day for Boris Johnson. What I won't do is bore you with the exchanges between him and Labour leader, Labour Party leader Keir Starmer at Prime Minister Questions. I won't bore you with those exchanges because they're boring and you've probably heard them elsewhere today. But there were some very interesting interventions, including this one from the former Brexit Secretary, Sir, if you please, David Davis. He had this to say to Prime Minister Boris Johnson. David Davis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Like many on these benches, I spent weeks and months defending the Prime Minister uh, against often angry constituents. I reminded them of his success in delivering Brexit and on the vaccine and many other things. But I expect my leaders to shoulder the responsibility for the actions they take. Yesterday, he did the opposite of that. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. Huh? 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 
bombshell, right? Prime Minister. He was just about to say, I thank my right honourable friend. When it dawned on Bojo, he's not as thick as he looks, that, well, David is not really acting as his friend. He started off with, I'd like to thank my, which is usually followed by right honourable friend. Prime Minister. I, I, I must say to the right honourable gentleman, I don't. Ah, now he's the right honourable gentleman, demoted. I don't know what he's talking about, uh, but uh, what, I can, what I can tell him, uh, I don't know what quotation he's alluding to that he re- he's referring but what I can tell him is that I, and I think I've told this House repeatedly uh, throughout, this, throughout this pandemic, I take full responsibility for everything done in this government uh, and, and uh, throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Stephen Kinnock. Yeah, we won't hear Stephen. the... We won't hear Stephen Kinnock. I thought I'd edited that bit out. I must have missed it. Yeah, so David Davis, treachery, treachery. Like Julius Caesar today, all of this going on. So this went on for a bit and then he kind of got over it. And he took to his feet again to, as expected, to announce that Plan B restrictions would end next week, the 26th of January. Let's listen to what Johnson had to say. So, this morning, the Cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS Covid Pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. Yeah, yeah. They're all giggling because some backbench Tories ripped their masks off and threw them, threw them to the ground. Yeah, that's what they did. (laughs) Pretty Patel was most amused. Mr Speaker, Speaker, from, from tomorrow, from tomorrow we will no longer require face masks in classrooms. And the, Department, and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. That's important. From tomorrow, no longer requiring children to wear masks in the classrooms and communal areas. You won't be surprised to learn that this afternoon, teachers and union leaders were taking to the national airwaves to criticise this. They really want the kiddies masked up. It's it's sickening. Why would you want to do that to a child? Why would a teacher not advocate on behalf of the child not wearing a mask? But anyway. Areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet. But we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. Trust the judgment. You did hear that bit about firms can keep the vaccine passports or the COVID certification if they choose. You did hear that bit. Now, maybe 
I'm reading a bit too much into that. Maybe, I, maybe I'll just leave it there. Because I'd like to think that most firms, their business is decimated in the last two years. Surely most firms will not, having heard the government say you don't need to do it, surely most firms will not, you know, use this COVID certification nonsense. We'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Let's hope that most of them, all of them won't do that. Let me know if you have a business and you have been obeying it, what you plan to do. This is very important now. Mark Harper, a Tory MP and lockdown sceptic, he of the COVID recovery group, the backbenchers who don't like the jab mandates, the, the backbenchers who don't like the masks, who are completely against lockdowns. He had a very important question about the mandating of jabs for NHS staff, and he puts it here to Boris Johnson. This is Mark Harper. Mark Harper. Thank you very much, um, Mr Speaker. Um, I hope the Prime Minister will forgive me for not being extraordinarily grateful for the withdrawal of these measures. I I and many colleagues on these benches didn't think they were necessary in December, but I do nonetheless welcome their removal. Can I draw his attention to a further policy which I think it would be helpful if he reconsidered. Um, The government's current plan is to say to our valuable NHS staff that if they refuse to be vaccinated, they're to be sacked. And those sackings are to commence in a couple of weeks' time with no compensation. We know, and we know now, that the Secretary of State is being advised by his own officials uh, due to the uh, lack of protection against transmission that this needs to be rethought. Can I urge the Prime Minister to rethink this policy? We shouldn't reward our NHS staff for all their dedication with the sack. We should allow them to continue in the valuable work that they deliver to our great country. Minister. I thank him very much, and uh, and I I respect very much the the points of view that he's put across consistently throughout this uh, throughout this pandemic, and it's very, been very important uh, that we've had uh, a voice uh, speaking up for, for freedom in the way that, that he has. But I have to think also of those who will be at the bedside of uh, elderly and vulnerable people uh, who are dying of nosocomial, uh, nosocomially acquired uh, COVID and, and their feelings about uh, our failure to uh, get vaccination rates up high enough within uh, the NHS. And it's, it's a very, very uh, a grim uh, problems. I'm sure he can, uh, he can understand, Mr Speaker. And nobody wants to have a compulsory vaccination, but since the uh, policy was announced, rates of vaccination within the NHS have gone up uh, notably, and that's a, po- that's a positive thing. Uh, we will reflect on, uh, on the way ahead. Uh, we don't want to drive people out of, the, uh, out of the service, but it is a professional responsibility of everybody looking after the health of others within our NHS to get vaccinated. And I hope he agrees with that. Because the jabs don't work. They just make it worse, don't they? Isn't that the, the whole point? Haven't the government's own scientific advisors admitted that the the current jabs do very little at all to prevent transmission. He knows this. Why do they persist with this policy of firing patient-facing doctors, nurses and others because they won't have an unnecessary jab? That was Mark Harper. About five minutes later, another Conservative Party MP, S. S. 
Esther, Esther McVeigh, that's right, Esther McVeigh. Did she have any more luck? Unlike colleagues here on this side of the house, I too want to question on behalf of the 100,000 NHS workers the mandatory vaccination. Given the chief medical officer told MPs that vaccinations had a minimal impact on transmission, isn't it the case now? There is no reason at all for mandatory vaccinations for care workers and NHS staff. Over the last two years, these people have worked tirelessly on the front line and we have clapped these key workers. Can the Prime Minister now make sure that he doesn't sack them? It is utterly unjustifiable. Prime Minister. Uh, I, I understand her, her, her point, but I must say that the NHS fully supports the policy because of uh, considerations for, for patient safety and I, I would just repeat what I've said to several uh, members I really think it's the duty of healthcare professionals uh, to get vaccinated. Everything she said was true. The chief medical officer said listen, they, they don't have any impact on transmission there's absolutely no reason to mandate this thing. Even if the jabs were genuinely effective at lessening the symptoms of Covid now we know it's all nonsense, every bit of it you know that, I know that let's pretend that everything we've heard from these scientific advisors is true. If it is true, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to mandate it. There's obviously other agendas at play here. We don't often talk about one of them, which is to absolutely collapse the health service once and for all, to, to later on outsource even, even more um, procedures, even more health care to private companies. But look, we'll, we'll leave that there. On, on, just, just one more thing on the mandating the jabs. The, the mayor of Greater Manchester is a guy called Andy Burnham. He's a Labour Party guy. He was once the health secretary. He had that job, I believe, under Gordon Brown. As I said, he's now mayor of Greater Manchester. Don't ask me how that happened. Apparently they're grooming Gary Neville for that job. Burnham is going to make a return to, I suppose, what you might call parliamentary politics. He's going to run for a seat, maybe in Lee again, maybe, I don't know. Was, was it Lee, was it? Burnham, I can't remember. Help me out. Uh, they, they, they'll send Burnham back to Westminster one way or another. And they're talking about Gary Neville, the footballer, because he recently joined the Labour Party and he has been an ardent critic of the government using his Twitter platform which is pretty big and Instagram as well. So Burnham then, the Labour guy was on the LBC Nick Ferrari show today. Ferrari asks him about NHS workers but he bizarrely starts off asking him about mandating the jabs for football players. God damn it. Should there be mandating of major sports personnel to have their vaccines? Mr Mayor. Do you know, I mean, I'm strongly in favour of the vaccination uh, programme, Nick. Um, and you mentioned before I'm a former health secretary, uh, so I always come down on the side of putting people's health first. But, you know, I've pulled back on mandatory vaccination. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for Premier League footballers or indeed for NHS staff. And that is a more current question, isn't it? it because is. they are being required to have a vaccination by the early part of February, or face termination, not redundancy, Nick, termination of their of their job. Now, 
Personally, I, I think um, in the circumstances we're in, that is is, is the wrong but, move but, uh, from the government. Mr Mayor, sadly, I don't have one. But if my dear old mum was still alive, why shouldn't I be safe in the knowledge that the fantastic staff treating her had all had the, had the relevant jabs? Because the vast majority of NHS staff will take uh, the jab, and there are some people who, for their own personal reasons, will decide not to. I think the risks can be managed through lateral flow testing of, of people in that uh, that position. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm just being being straight with you. I think it's risky for the NHS to force, let's say, I don't know, perhaps 5% of staff into a position where they're being told, get the jab or lose your job, uh, given all of the pressures on the NHS right now. So there's a moral dimension to this, but there's also a, a very practical dimension to this uh, situation, Nick. And just on the point that uh, was raised at the start, I mean, I... There's a lag on death data. Death data. Yep. So I mean, I you know I couldn't okay. I, and no, I wouldn't no. know that. In terms of the uh, critical care and ventilation, the latest figure I had, we had around 50 people in high dependency or critical okay. care. But obviously, Martin seems to have different figures. Yeah. Indeed. Just to clarify, as a former health secretary, you, you would not mandate. You would encourage and ever offer every opportunity to NH staff, but you would not mandate that NH staff must have the vaccine or be terminated. I, I wouldn't. Mm, he wouldn't. Andy Burnham there says he wouldn't. Let's go to your comments. Please leave comments at richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. Hi to Colin, who says, Gary, at this moment in time, Neville loves a good sports cliche. I see what you did there, Colin, and I like it. He does say that quite a lot, doesn't he? But as a broadcaster myself, who sometimes does lapse into cliche, I'd be the first to admit it, and it is pointed out to me when I do it. I won't knock him for that. Chris says the NHS supports the jab mandates. Well, he really means the CEO, not the worker, says Chris. Good point, Chris. Total shill for Big Pharma agrees with the agenda. Lucy says, I was just looking at a video recording regarding a man with, I think, stage 5 kidney failure. He needs a transplant. He was told he won't be given this transplant even if he has a kidney from a friend or family because he refuses the jab. Even if he has a kidney from a friend or family member, says Lucy, because he refuses the jab. Is that genuine, Lucy? Do come back with a link to that. Post the link on Comment Life, please. Cookie says, Richie, six-year-old died in Portugal after first jab. Autopsy inconclusive. It'll be another month before they will have the results to see if it was indeed the jab. How many more children in that time will be jabbed, says Cookie. It's so very sad. Dean Smith, my pal Dean, of course, who operates a care home, family business. Dean says, Richie, what are they up to? It seems like this is a good thing he's referring to removing Plan B restrictions. Seems like this is a good thing, but my gut says they're up to something way more sinister. Dean, I know nada, niente, nothing. I genuinely don't. I have speculated they've got to release the valve, haven't they, a little bit. They've got to just turn the valve, let a little bit of pressure out, let the the needle, the dial go back a bit to give people some breathing room. That would be my guess. It's very general what I've just said there, but that would be my guess. Uh, Vicky says, Czech Republic are withdrawing jab mandates and passports along with various other countries. I wonder if the rioting in Kazakhstan has put the willies up them and they're backtracking now, says Vicky. Interesting, Vicky, because as I understand it, the German government 
has begun to moderate its own language around jab mandates. A few days ago, a week or so ago, very strong language by the German government, government ministers about mandating the jabs and fining people. But that language has been tempered somewhat, I think, in recent days. I, I read the broadsheets here and I read some of the European ones, obviously in English. I'd like to pretend that I'm a polyglot. That's your word of the day. Take that, Susie Dent. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Susie Dent. Your word of the day is polyglot. It is a person who speaks, well, more than quite a few languages. I just speak English in bad language. Craig says, Richie, I'll say this. We all thought we, we, we would be in lockdown again this winter. So far, we've been wrong. Spot on, Craig. Absolute mont. It looked like it, didn't it, in the run-up to Christmas. But it hasn't happened. I said it probably would. I was wrong again. Just put that in the column of Richie. If there's any space left on the page. I've been wrong so many times. You know. Patricia says the COVID narrative is starting to collapse in the United States. Is it wrong to suggest that the pandemic hoax is beginning to crumble? Patricia, I hope you're right. I so desperately hope you are right. Joan says, Richie, the kids went back to school today in Ontario. All of them have to wear masks all day. It is feckin' child abuse, says Joan. I cannot believe that parents are still sending their babies to schools under those conditions. It's maddening, Joan. Who You see, again, it could justifiably be thrown back at me. Well, you're not a parent, uh, Baldy. What would you know about it? Little or nothing about parenting, obviously. I do know no child of mine or ours would ever be forced to wear what you call a face nappy. And I've said it a thousand times long before the scam. No child of ours would ever go to a school. Wouldn't happen. He or she would be homeschooled. Hi to Karen, who was amused by the fake horse race clip earlier on. She half believed it for a minute. She was texting her son, who is a bit of a gambler, thinking she had a tip for a good nag. No no such look, Karen. No such look at all. Hi to Jim. Hi to Martin. Uh, Patricia came back to say, it's only a cold. Fantastic, Richie. We need a good laugh these days. We certainly do. Hank says, Richie, I took your advice and watched the film Belfast. Really enjoyed it. Kenneth Branagh, it's a great film. Uh, Good films are few and far between. Good luck, he says, from Hank and Valerie, who are in Newmarket. Thank you, Hank, and thank you, Valerie. Here's a song that should have won a Grammy. This song should have been Song of the Year in 1993. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. Should have won the Ivor Novello Award. This is Take That, and the song is called Pray. All I do each night is pray. What a song. And what a band. Take that and pray from the album. I know this. Hang on. I bought it. Balls. I have the picture disc of it. I actually have the picture disc of it. And if you don't believe me, I'll take a photograph of it and post it later on. I have the picture disc album of it. What's it called? Everything? No, it's not. No! Ah! I can't think. Don't tell me. Don't spoil it for me. Uh, Pray. Bridget, how you doing, Bridget? Thanks for listening, by the way. And thanks for your comment. Bridget says, Richie, apologies as I only caught the first bit of your show yesterday. On catch-up, you spoke of the hysteria around Ashling Murphy. Surely it's to do with raising the profile of women stalked or murdered for just being normal. 
I don't think it can be denied that things ain't what they used to be, says Bridget. That gal fought like a tiger and her alleged assailant is still in hospital. There was a, a man arrested in in the eastern part of, of the country of Ireland today as well. Bridget, correct me if I'm wrong, but assaults on women and brutal murders where women are the victims, they're not going through the rooftops in Ireland. This is a very, very rare event, this. It's a terrible thing, of course, and if they do have the, the, the person or persons responsible for it, of course, every one of us that is any way decent at all would want the person to spend the rest of their of their life in, in jail, of course. But I think my point still stands. What's going on? You know, you, you, people holding vigils, you know, 150, 200 miles away for a woman they never knew or never met. It is hysteria. And it's it's driven by media coverage, I believe, the behaviour of politicians. And I think it's about changing people's perception on certain issues, convincing people that problems exist that might not exist, or if they do exist, they certainly aren't as, as bad as they would have you believe. It's crazy. I think my great friend Jean-Anne Crowley made a good point last night when she said, why would you want to be asking primary school children to hold a minute's silence for a woman they don't know? Why would you want primary school children to contemplate something as brutal as the attack and murder of that lady, Ashling Murphy? It's madness, and I, I gave a very ham-fisted, I won't, I won't get into it again today, explanation as to what I think is going on yesterday. Thanks for your point, Bridget. Your point, your your opinion is just as valid as mine, but I, I, I don't see uh, I don't see it your way, but thank you anyway. Hi to Caroline Feely. Hi to Jane. Thanks for the uh, comment, Jane. I'm glad I made you smile. Caroline said regarding the the clip I played earlier on, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore did something similar some years ago. You've just reminded me of that, Caroline. I'd forgotten I'd forgotten that. I might try and dig that out for, I don't know, for a couple of minutes one Sunday morning during the Sunday morning melodies show. It's 20 minutes. So it is. It's only 20 minutes to the top of the air. You are with the Richie Allen Show. It is live from Salford this Wednesday. And of course, it's January 19th, just in case you don't know. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Righty. Oh, ho. let's uh, do one or two more comments before I move on. Martin has sent a link. Uh, Prime Minister and Bill Gates launch £400 million investment to boost green investment. Thanks for that, Martin. Katja says, how you doing, Katja? She says, Richie, we here in South Africa also thought we would be locked down again for Christmas. We weren't, but it's a cat and mouse game. What will they do next, for God's sake, says Katja. It's a good question. I wish I knew. We can, we can speculate. Listen, the next person who has a pop at the songwriting talents of Gary Barlow is getting banned from my website, I'm looking at you, Paul, when I say that. Don't knock the Gary. Don't knock our Gaz. We love him up here in the Northwest. Julia says, Richie, a local county here on Long Island, New York, lifted all mandates, and there are many parents complaining about this. 
They want their kids masked. It's unbelievable, says Julia. Thanks, Julia. Do you know, just before we go back to the COVID, here's a story I found a bit interesting today. Don't know about you, but I found it interesting. And the government has launched an independent review into the impact of the ban on homosexual personnel in the military. This was before the year 2000, when the ban was lifted by the Labour Party. But before 2000, you couldn't be openly gay and serve in the military. And if you were serving in the military, and it was believed that you were gay, you'd be booted out, or kind of encouraged to leave. So this review is part of the Veterans Strategy Action Plan that's also been launched. It's hoped that it will provide the opportunity for the government to better understand the lived experience of LGBT veterans who served prior to 2000, including how being discharged from the military because of their sexuality has affected their lives. How did it affect them being booted out? So the information and experiences gathered as part of the review will allow the government to tailor support, to better tailor support to the LGBT veteran community. We're, we're, we're flooded with communities these days, aren't we? There's so many communities. Anyway, uh, this is serious enough, I suppose. Um, Minister for Defence, uh, People and Veterans, a guy called Leo Doherty, he said, while the modern military embraces the LGBT community, it is important that we learn from the experiences of LGBT veterans who were affected by the pre-2000 ban. So there were quite a few gay men and women on TV today, most of them in their 40s, 50s, who had been in the military and had been booted out when it was learned that they were in fact gay. So they were describing their treatment back in the day today. Some of them became very emotional. Fair enough. I'm not sure, though, about this. I've been thinking about this. I'm not sure if I'm happy with gays being in the army or the navy or even in the post office, to be fair. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, have a listen to Territorial Army veteran Gareth Keenan speaking to the BBC, well, about gays in the army and why it's not a good thing. And that's actually one of the major arguments against letting gay men into the army. And I haven't got a problem with that. You know, a gay man's not going to put me off. I can handle myself. But... If we're in battle, is he going to be looking at the enemy or is he going to be looking at me going, ooh, you know, he looks tasty in his uniform. And I'm not homophobic, all right, come around, look at my CD collection. You'll find Queen, George Michael, Pet Shop Boys, they're all bummers. The Communards, Jimmy Somerville. Right, it's a good point that you could be in Kabul. You could be in the Hellmand province. Is that what they call it? The Hellmand province. And you could be taking serious fire from all those crazy Taliban guys running around with their AK-47s. And the guy who's supposed to be covering you might be looking at you, looking at you going, he's a bit of all right in that army uniform. Gareth Keenan there on the BBC. Now, to more serious matters. Jonathan Reynolds, I think, is the shadow business secretary. Or is he, is he shadow work and pensions? I can't remember. I couldn't be arsed to look it up either. That's the, the sort of day I'm having. So, he, look, he's a Labour Party MP, Jonathan Reynolds. Now, he spoke to LB... No, no, he didn't. He spoke to Talk Radio's Julia Hartley Brewer this morning. So he did. And uh, she had challenged him on the evidence that face masks work. 
and asked him why he would support the measures in the absence of any hard evidence. Then he referred to her in unflattering terms. And it kind of kicked off, and I was kind of delighted. A sensible approach would involve evidence that they made a difference. Have you ever seen any of that evidence? I haven't. I feel they've made a difference. You feel they've made... Oh, well, in that case, Jonathan... Do you feel? I mean, if that's if that's the way we make decisions about people's freedoms in this country, if Jonathan Reynolds feels they make a difference, but I just on. feel throughout things like this, I know it's not your position, but people like me have followed the scientific and medical advice and voted in. I'm asking you for no, no, no. Someone saying you should do this is not the same as them producing evidence for that. How it affects my breathing and the transmission of, of material from up. Of course it's had an effect. So look, what do you mean, I, I of course it's had an effect? Numerous scientific studies have been done and none of them have shown any significant effect, if any at all. Well, I feel it's been of you benefit. Feel. Well, you look, feel. You feel. This sort of tedious anti-vax stuff, anti- Excuse me? Excuse me, Jonathan Reynolds? How dare you? How dare you? I am so fed up and so are my listeners. I'm asking you to produce the scientific basis for you claiming that you feel a policy works when it's a massive infringement on civil liberties. And you've just basically accused me of being anti-vax. I am double vaccinated. I have always encouraged people to get the vaccination. That is an outrageous thing to say. I am so fed up of that. That conversation about restrictions, which we've had many times, you can only follow the scientific and medical advice and act in the national interest. And, and yes, I do feel the mask mandates have made a difference and they were a sensible thing, an easy, relatively low cost thing. They're not low cost. Been... They're not easy, they're not low cost and, and there is no scientific evidence for them. Don't tell me you feel something works. If there isn't scientific evidence for it, you're not following the science. I'm sorry, but it, it's, it's ridiculous. Get back in your box, Jonathan Reynolds. I love the posh English lady way of expressing indignation. Excuse me. I grew up in a council estate in Waterford and proud of it too, I am. Women weren't quite so eloquent there when they were chastising you. I don't mind telling you, but I won't get into that. It's exactly 12 and a half minutes to the top of the area with the Richie Allen Show with me, the BBG. Loads of comments coming in. Uh, Backbeat says LGBT in the military. There's no way that we could have pink or rainbow camouflage. That's true. Isabel says this. People holding vigils for people they've never met. Most of these people wouldn't say hi to the person passing their house. I think this is to make themselves feel better about their lack of humanity and kindness when it matters. A bit like going to confession on a Sunday for sinful Catholics. It's a very good point, that. No doubt about it. Wayne has said Gary Barlow is an incredible songwriter and Pray is a wonderful song. Wayne had his left hand, the fingers of his left hand were were crossed and he typed that with his right hand exclusively. Thank you. Thank you. Scaramouche says, did he take six jabs or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself and Fantastic. But being this is a Pfizer, the most powerful vaccine in the world, and would blow your heart clean away, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? That's very good, Scaramouche. I'm very impressed. 
Chris says, being an older person, the comedy clip reminded me of Peter Stellars. He did stuff like that. In fact, in terms of Irish accents, a drop of the hard stuff is the one, says Chris. Thank you, Chris. Got to check that one out. Oakley, 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 Oakley. The maddest of feckers was on the BBC this morning. A professor, Helen Wimmelarasna. Helen Wimmelarasna. It's all one word, Wimmelarasna. All one, it's one thing. It's not hyphenated. Um, she's University of Buckingham, a scientist. And she's not happy about the relaxing of restrictions. Now, now, the clip you are about to hear was, it aired, it aired before Johnson announced the end of Plan B measures, but it had already been leaked. So we all knew she wasn't happy at all. Professor Helen Wimmelarasna speaking to the BBC, not thrilled at all. This starts out fairly reasonable and then it just goes mad, Ted. Have a listen. Yeah, so I really hope that they take this not as a package and call it Plan B as one monolithic item, but they actually um, look at the individual measures and, and make appropriate decisions accordingly. So, for example, I think masks absolutely have to stay in shops and on public transport, um, probably less useful, less effective in high schools as we go forward at the moment. Um, and then as we look at returning to work in person and COVID passes, I think there's two key pieces of information here. So one is that the numbers of reported cases are apparently beginning to fall, though not maybe as much as we think because of changes in the way in which these things are reported. But more importantly, we're at a point now where such a large proportion of the population should have good protective an antibodies either due to a recent booster dose or a recent natural infection. So that gives a little bit of breathing space and it means that working from home and having COVID passes are probably not going to give much additional benefit at the moment. Do we need a strategy from the Westminster government about how to live with this on a day-to-day -day basis in the future? This is where it gets really interesting. Absolutely. I think strategy is the magic word, and that's maybe not what we've seen a lot of. We've had a lot of reactive measures. This is not the end of the pandemic. I'd like to squash any imagination that this is the end of the pandemic. She'd like to squash any imagination that this is the end of the pandemic, and she's an academic. Had a lot of reactive measures. This is not the end of the pandemic. I'd like to squash any imagination that this is the end of the pandemic. I'd like to squash your imagination, dear listener. And this is not herd immunity. Herd immunity is not mathematically possible. What? Herd immunity is not mathematically possible. You're having me on. End of the pandemic. I'd like to squash any imagination that this is the end of the pandemic. And this is not herd immunity. Herd immunity is not mathematically possible with the current generation of vaccines and with what we know about reinfection. We herd immunity isn't mathematically impossible with the current jabs and what we know about the infection and transmission and passing it on. This woman is barking mad. We will see more variants. We were saying it more variants. before the July easings and we're saying it now. If we continue to allow transmission to be so high, we will have many more variants coming along and we need to have a strategic <laughs> plan for how we deal with that, what we're going to do in the interim to try and bring transmission down and what measures. It's fantastic, eh? 
Herd immunity is not mathematically impossible. You know the University College London, you know people like Carl Hennigan, Oxford guy of, of evidentiary-based medicine, they've said that we, we've passed, this country passed herd immunity about a year ago now. About 10 or 11 months ago. This crazy cow is saying, no, no, loads of variants and we got to stop the transmission and herd immunity is mathematically impossible with the current jabs. Meaning that you'll, well, probably have to have, I don't know, lots and lots more jabs. I don't know where they find these goons. Professor Helen Wimmer-Larathna from the University of Buckingham. Find her. Lock her up. Send the men and women in white coats around. Get the straight jacket, set the ready. What a nut job. What an absolute lunatic. I, I know, I, I know. Using terms like that, I know. Madness though, isn't it? To be, and of course, uh, Victoria Derbyshire, the, the BBC presenter, just sat there nodding her head. Give over. Gaz says the mainstream media seems to be trying to backtrack a bit on the tyranny now that the government are doing it. Working together as always. I don't trust them, he says. It's Gaz. Thank you, Gaz. And then the page just disappeared on me. Comment live, richieallen.co.uk. is the menu bar. Comment live. It's between support your show and log in. Right? Couldn't be any simpler. Let me reload the page again. It's five and a half minutes to six o'clock. Richie Allen with you for God knows how long more. I've got loads more to tell you, so it could be for quite a while yet. Haven't a clue. And the website now is being a bit unresponsive. And I think that's because there is an inordinate amount of traffic on the website right now. Yes, there is. Yes, I might have to put a little coin slot on the website, like like they do on those public, on those paid toilets. A little 5p slot, you have to pay 5p every time you log on. I'll be minted that way. Minted, I tells you. Minted. I'll be able to move out of Salford and move to Eccles. That's what. That's that's the ambition. Get enough money to leave Salford and move to Eccles. Never leaving Salford. Why won't the page load? Ah, for fuck's sake. It won't load. Can I take a tune while I sort this out? Because I've got so much more to tell you anyway. Can I? Can I play Shanice? If you don't mind, like. This is called I Love Your Smile, 90s Day Today. In BBG Towers, it's 90s Day. I Love Your Smile from Shanice on The Richie Allen Show. Now that's a tune, tune, tune. Thanks for your comments. That doctor was absolutely barking mad, right? I mean, this is lunacy, right? This is not the end of the pandemic. I'd like to squash any imagination that this is the end of the pandemic. And this is not herd immunity. Herd immunity is not mathematically possible with the current generation of vaccines and with what we know about reinfection. We will see more variants. And she wants to squash your imagination as well. Asher is only vaudeville. Colin says Richie is sexually aroused now by our Julia. I'm not. She might, she might very well be the thinking man's crumpet. If I can say that, I can say what I want, I suppose. But uh, wouldn't do it for me. No, no, she wouldn't. Giles came back on to say, just have an LGBT regiment. This is Gaz. James says, Julia didn't, didn't, did not say that she had a booster. No, she didn't. That's quite right. 
Hi to Colm in Dublin. How you doing, Colm? Uh, he's from 70s Ireland. Those English girls' indignation. It does it for him every time, he says. Thank you, Colin. Me and you and all. Uh, Craig says, I have a strategy for dealing with COVID moving forward. Ignore it and get on with life. Yes, I would agree. But uh, I suppose when they start locking stuff down, as they did, and may very well do again, it kind of comes to you, doesn't it? You know, when you are prevented from doing things and travelling to places. But I hear you. We said this from the word go, didn't we? That if you just turned your back on it and ignored it, well, there is no scam. There is no pandemic. There never was a pandemic. Pandora says herd immunity has never been possible from vaccinating. Uh, you can only get it through natural immunity, says Pandora. And it was reached globally around about November 2020, she says. That's her opinion. Yes, the UCL said it was more like uh, March, April 2021, didn't they? But who knows? And uh, the Dodge says, I love the jingle played every time a bullshitter or case of fuckery is detected. Where can I get that tune? I want it as a ringtone. It's pretty straightforward. It is from the soundtrack to Raising Arizona, a film by the Coen brothers starring Nicolas Cage and Lo... No, 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 no. No, no. Holly Hunter. Yeah? Holly Hunter, right? Yes, I think so. Yes, yes. And, and, and... Your man, your man, John Goodman, I think is in it as well. Uh, Fabrizio says, isn't the training in the armed services the same for all recruits? Either they're trained to kill or not. Of course, it was preposterous back in the day that gay men and women were barred from serving in the armed forces. It was absolutely ridiculous. And in 2000, was Jeff Hoon, was it Jeff Hoon who gave the speech on behalf of the government? back in 2000. It might have been someone else when they said this would no longer be tolerated, that if gay men and women wanted to serve, uh, they should serve, and that's the end of it. I know the US military for, for a long time had something called a don't ask, don't tell policy. But I think that's been removed now. Correct me again, uh, my friend, if I happen to be wrong. Shall we talk a little bit about God's country? That would be Ireland and what's happening in Ireland. Uh, Jean-Anne was on to me earlier on to point out to me that, uh, let's see, let me scroll back up there. This is good. Jean-Anne says, Richie, the government announced today here in Ireland that they'll be giving €1,000 tax-free to all health workers for all their Trojan work during the terrifying pandemic when they were overrun, etc., etc. And given so many are employed... Use the word advisedly, says Gina, employed by the health service executive and delighted to get money for nothing and the virtue signalling comes free. Well, what's not to like, eh, says Gina? Typically spot on and sharp comment from my pal in Connemara. Well, I was uh, keeping an eye on what was going on in Era Nua today. So they're saying restrictions might be lifted at the end of March. This is pure vaudeville. Ireland is a population of... Do you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to look it up. Is it 5 million? Is it? Okay, I'm typing now. Typing, 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 typing. Um, we'll see what we get. It is 4,937,786. That's how many people are in Ireland. 4,937,786 are in Ireland. However, however, it's gone up. 
It's gone up. That was last year, December. Uh, it's as of today, Wednesday, Wednesday, it's now 5,022,885. That's the population. Now, what if I was to tell you? What if I was to tell you, dear listener, that in Ireland, with the population of 5,022,000, there are 93 people across the entire country in intensive care. And that has been the figure, around about that figure, for several weeks. 93 people out of 5 million are in intensive care and and, and Ireland has got far worse restrictions than the UK at the moment. It's a fecking farce, isn't it? It's a farce, isn't it? So March 31st isn't soon enough for Kira Kelly. Kira Kelly is or was a doctor turned radio presenter. Here she was this morning, this morning, uh, speaking on her own radio show, having a good old rant with her co-presenter, Kira Kelly. So let's not talk about the 31st of March. What we have now is a window of opportunity now. We know that Omicron is the circulating variant. We know that it is not particularly severe or serious. We know that even at half a million cases per week, it did not overwhelm our, our health service yeah. or our ICUs. There is no justification for any restrictions. Are and they I don't not going to hear... do that? Are they, are they not going to do it I don't know what they're going to do. But Shane, I don't want to hear the noises they've been making over the last few days. Well, we'll, we'll get to it yeah, over the next little while and it'll be quicker than before. They should actually you want it yesterday. Re- all restrictions on Friday. After they speak to Neffet, all restrictions should be gone. And I don't want to hear, oh, we let you out till 10 or maybe midnight if you're good. Get out of our faces. It's none of your business what time people go. The, the public health risk is utterly diminished and disproportionate now to have these measures at all. And this is a window because we don't know how long we have. And we need to have a policy in this country of opening up when we can and closing when we have to. And we need to get our heads around that, inching towards the 31st of March when it'll all be over. No one can guarantee that. Open up now. Did you hear that daft mayor? Did you hear that daft mayor? We need to have a policy of opening up when we can and closing when we have to. Imagine. Opening when we can, but closing when we have to. This ex-GP or current GP or whatever the hell she is, Kira Kelly. Mm. Well, the Irish Minister for Health is a guy called Stephen Donnelly. Use whatever word you want to describe him. Ooh, Fawsock, gobshite, gobsheen, arsehole. This guy Donnelly wants the Irish people to be proud of themselves for a job well done during the pandemic. You should be proud of yourselves, says Donnelly. It is encouraging. And I think the, I think the nation really should take great pride um, in the response from Ireland. You know, we, we have one of the highest take-up rates of vaccines and then of boosters. A lot of that was people getting boosted to, t- to protect themselves, but a lot of it really was a mark of solidarity. It was people standing up all over the country and saying, I want to protect my friends, I want to protect my family, I want to protect our healthcare workers, I want to protect our health services. Uh, and I think, it's, um, I think it's because of that uh, that we're in a position to be having the conversation we're having, uh, we're having right now, while some other countries are seeing record numbers of cases and are, are looking at what additional restrictions might be required. Mm. Stephen Donnelly speaking there, telling the Irish people to pat themselves on the back for putting up with the restrictions, and they did it out of some sort of sense of some sort of sense of duty 
to do their bit to take care of everybody else. They did it like everybody else did it in the UK and elsewhere because they were coerced into doing it. Because they were told that the only way out of the restrictions and the misery and the job losses and the constant fear, the barrage of fear on the media, the only way out of that was to take the jab. That's why they took the jabs. The vast majority of people, this is my opinion, isn't the fact it's an opinion, but I believe I'm right. The great majority of people, maybe, if, if you leave out senior citizens, senior citizens tend to trust governments. They do. They do. And I'm not going, going to get into the reasons why they do, but they do. Talked before about how if the government has never crossed their paths, if they've never had any bad dealings with the government, they generally tend to trust the government. But I believe that trust wanes a bit as you go down through the age groups and the age brackets. And I am convinced that most younger people, middle-aged people, younger people, they took it because of coercion, not because they believed Gen genuinely believed that they were in the middle of a global health crisis. I do not believe that they thought that was going on. They were coerced into taking it. And if you want to, we, we talk sometimes on the programme about whoppers, about massive lies. Um, listen to the Tornister, the, the Deputy Prime Minister, a guy called Leo Varadkar. It's too easy. I'm not going to say anything about him. Uh, he was speaking alongside Stephen Donnelly. And he told a whopper of a lie. This is a double whopper with cheese dragged through the garden, extra large fries and extra large milkshake. Listen to this lie. Speaking about employers asking employees whether they were vaccinated or not. Listen to this liar. I would be, I'd be, I'd be reluctant uh, to um, allow employers to ask people um, or ask their employees what their vaccine status is because like, where does that end? Um, there are lots of other vaccines as well and if you were to allow employers to ask about the COVID vaccine why wouldn't you ask about the hepatitis vaccine or um, you know, MMR vaccines and why would you not then potentially ask about virus status, whether they have a particular virus or not, never mind the vaccine and I just wouldn't like to go down that route quite frankly um, there might be a case for it in exceptional circumstances where staff are working with vulnerable or immunocompromised people but uh, as a general principle um, I, 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 I wouldn't like to be in a position where we give employers the right to ask uh, people private questions about their, about their health status Yeah, yeah, Leo Leo, come here, come here, Leo. Leo, come here, come here. Derek, Derek, tell him. Oh, shut up, you tart. Lying bastard. What a liar. I'm not going to get into it. Clifton says, and I know Clifton, how are you doing, Clifton? He's a couple of years younger than I am. He says, I know loads that got the jabs to go on holidays and to go to the pub. You are spot on, he says. And I've heard that, Clifton, from other people. My age, I'm 47 now, or a little bit younger that last summer in particular, they were queuing up in their droves to have the bloody thing because it got them to Fuerteventura or it got them to Santa Panza or Fuengarola or Torremolinos. Yeah, I think we're, we're bang on there. No doubt about that. Yeah, I'll oh, be jeepers. Oh, the time is uh, coming up for 12 minutes past six. Still plenty to tell you. With you till about 6.30, maybe a bit later. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. OK. 
Tickly Tokily. Uh, more comments. I'll do. I'll do one or two more comments, and then we'll, we'll we'll move on. By the way, a very interesting retired GP uh, will be on the program tomorrow. You do not want to miss him tomorrow. Uh, that's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, it is Thursday tomorrow. So keep that in mind. Uh, I'll tell you his name before I finish the programme uh, this evening. But he's written a book. Very interesting, gentlemen. Looking forward to that tomorrow. Cookie says the NHS staff are so overwhelmed they could synchronise dancing on TikTok. <laughs> Why didn't that ring bells? Do you remember that? We were apoplectic. We were apoplectic, weren't we? I couldn't believe it. And, and it isn't because I'm naive, because I don't understand what these people are capable of. And by these people, I mean the hidden hand. But to see doctors and nurses so bored out of their minds last year when they were supposed to be overwhelmed with COVID dead bodies and sticking ventilators in people, finding the time to learn not the most complicated dance routines, but also, you know, routines that you, you certainly had to find the time to practice. And then filming these things and putting them out on social media. To me, that said, this is how effing stupid we think you people are. We'll do anything. There isn't anything that we could do that would lead you to the conclusion that you are being fooled. I remember those ludicrous videos so well. I remember having a conversation with several journalists, not all at the same time, but people I know saying, this is just ridiculous, isn't it? And them saying to me, yeah, this is absolutely outrageous. But they didn't write about it, though. These journalists I know who work in Fleet Street and stuff and what have you. Yeah. All right, yeah. Pandora says, not so much my opinion, she says, look at the FARS law curves of so-called wave one. Uh, the US gave the impression of wave two only as it is tropical versus temperate region. Globally, all temperate regions ended in early summer of 2020, while tropical zones began in early summer until late autumn. You see, you can't tell me this stuff, Pandora, without sending me at least a link where I can have a quick look to see where you got that information unless you are an epidemiologist yourself, and you might very well be so. I'm not going to, uh, to impugn um, your, your, your character in any way at all. Uh, it doesn't matter really when herd immunity was achieved, if it was late 2020 or early 2021. We know that this thing, if it existed, it would have ran through people, most of whom wouldn't have even sneezed, and that is how herd immunity is acquired. I think we're totally agreed on that anyway. Uh, speaking of the army, Al says when I was a shit squaddy in the 1990s, what do you have to do to be a shit squaddy? Uh, am I missing something here? I met several lesbians serving as soldiers, including one officer, says Al. Sounds like it was a fun time to be in the army. Lesbians everywhere. Not in Afghanistan, though. They don't like lesbians there too much. Roger says they may stop people shopping unless they've been jabbed. They might do that, says Roger. Stock, stock up now in advance or order online. That's what I'm saying. 
Monk says, they have announced here in Alberta, Canada, you can now get your second booster. Passports are still in place and the unvaxxed still are not permitted to fly. Trudeau has also stopped the unvaxxed truckers from crossing the border from America. Looks like he is trying to put Canada on its knees. Shelves in the grocery uh, stores, shelves in the grocery stores are starting to look sparse, he says. Veggies and fruit and other stuff that comes up from the south will be in short supply. Other items will follow. Maybe then the Canadians might see this for what it is. Who knows, he says. And he says, loving the music. You see? Don't take the piss out of Gary Barlow on my watch. On my watch. Wayne says, you're right to be sceptical, Richie, about this not being over. It may be only beginning. The die has been cast after many years of planning. There is no going back. I believe the only genuine victory in England was lockdown not happening over New Year. Everything else is simply strategy and deception. Thank you, Wayne. Now, I'm going to take another piece of music. When I come back from that, we're going to talk about something, well, a little bit different. We're going to talk about the culture wars, if you don't mind. And not for too long either, just in case you're, ah, oh, no, Richie, not the culture wars. Asha, we're only sick of that old shite. But uh, I heard an interesting bit of radio today, and I'd like to share it with you. Jesus. What was that? It's a bit loud, banging in my ears there. This is Aha and the Living Daylights. I'll beat the Living Daylights out of you. Wasn't that poor old Timothy Dalton short-changed all the same, wasn't he? He wasn't a bad Bond. Licence to Kill was on ITV4 recently, and right, it's a bit dated, but I, I thought Timothy, Timothy, Timothy Dalton was okay. Bit, bit kind of... There was no humour. But weren't, weren't filmmakers moving away from that silly, you know, that James Bond snogging all the women, uh, laughing his way through firefights and stuff like that, they were moving in that direction eventually. Think of the Bourne identity 10 or 12 years later. Fantastic film, that, with, uh, with, with your man from Boston, your man, Ben Affleck's mate. Uh, what, what's he called? Matt Damon, that's the one. I thought he got shortchanged a bit myself. Poor old, poor old Timothy Dalton, licensed to kill in the living daylights there from AHA. Now, Christine is in Limavady, my pal. And she says, Richie, Julia Hartley Brewer said she has had an antibody test, so therefore will not be getting the booster yet. Thank you, Christine. It's very good. Good to know that. And Donna was in touch. How are you doing, Donna? Donna says, Richie, I loved you played the It's Only a Cold horse racing clip from, from Today FM. My Irish friend Sue played it to me a couple of weeks ago. Sue and I are proud owners of Irish sport horses, Hugo and Edward, says Donna. My great-great-grandfather was Irish. Do I count? No, you don't count. Piss off, Donna. Let me tell you this and I'll tell you no more. When I was a tour guide at Waterford Crystal back in 93, 94, 92, 93, 94, I think, when I was a tour guide, I got sick to the back teeth of these Americans that just jumped off of a bus. They, they, they used to come into it to Dublin and jump on a bus to get a, to get a coach tour of Ireland. And they would go around the Ring of Kerry uh, they'd go everywhere on the coach tours. These these elderly American people, salt of the earth now, good people, saved up, got a coach tour of Ireland. Sick of them telling me I'm Irish. 
Where were you born? I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Where are you? Where, where was your father born? Yeah, he was born in Little, Little Rock, Arkansas as well. Right. Where was your great grandfather born? Well, well, he was born in oh, oh, he was born in 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 Texas, little place called Odessa, right, right. What about your great 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 grandfather? And one guy said to me, "Well, well, he was born in Cobb H." What? There's no such place as Cobb H. I said to this this American, this geriatric, who had who had one of those baseball caps with the USS Missouri or something like that, because he was a veteran. So I was respectful of him. I said, Cobb, there's no such place as Cobb H. You've not got any great, 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 great grandfather from Cobb H. And then he showed me a map and he went, there, right next to Waterford. And I said, it's Cove. It's Cove, you mad American bastard. Cove, C-O-B-H. We pronounce B-H as a V in Ireland. You thick. No, of course I didn't say that. Lovely Americans. Every American you meet in Ireland. I'm Irish. You're not. You never will be. Get over it. Don't care how many great granddads were born here. Anyway, I just thought I'd get that off my chest, Donna. But good luck with the racehorses, Hugo and and Edward. May they may they bring you great victories in the future. Patricia came back on to say that she's never met someone who got the job for health reasons. It was always because they just want to have life. All things, potential consequences considered. A very sad, says Patricia. By the way, Patricia is one of them. Her father, grandfather, is definitely Irish, Patricia. And Patricia might refer to herself as Irish. Sometimes, not having it, Patricia. No chance. Not having it. We're, you've got to be very pure to be Irish. <laughs> Jean Ann says to me, she has an English friend who calls it Two Am. Can you guess the town? Of course, it's the wonderful town of Tum. T U A M. That's right. Love our Americans. Love our Americans. Love our Americans. There was an American tour bus, a coach going through Waterford City on their way to Waterford Crystal. There was about 75 elderly Yankees on the tour bus. And they were driving down the Cork Road. They were just passing Ballybeg on the right. Look it up on Google Maps. Philistines. So they're on this coach, these Americans. And they're, they can't wait to get to Waterford Crystal. And as they're driving, they see a man at the side of the road. And he's sitting on the curb. And it appears that he is performing oral on himself. A little guy. Tiny guy, not even five foot tall. So the American said, stop the bus, stop the coach, God damn it! Never seen anything like this. So they took out their cameras because they always have loads of cameras. They're worse than the Japanese. They have loads of cameras hanging around their necks. So they got off and tentatively approached this guy. Tentatively approached him. This guy was sitting on the curb and appeared to be performing a disgusting sex act on himself. Oral and what not. And one of the Americans plucked up a bit of courage and walked up to the gentleman. He said, Sir, excuse me, but do you mind if I ask you a question? The man looked up from pleasuring himself with his own mouth. And the American guy said, Are you a leprechaun? 
The Irish lad said, no, I'm a goblin. What kind of fuckery is this? Absolutely shit that. That's absolute crap. That's the level. That's what you can expect on a show like this. A family show like this. I'm a goblin. I'm a goblin. I'll say it again. Speaking of arseholes, what about James O'Brien on LBC? It's great to be able to say arsehole on the radio and get away with it. Now, James does this LBC radio thing. A chap from up north rang into James to talk to James because he wanted to explain why, in his opinion, the Tory party took so many so-called red wall seats at the last election in 2019. Boris Johnson won an 80-seat majority in 2019. You know this. And he managed that because they took seats that were Labour strongholds, so-called red wall seats. So this poor gentleman, called John, from Formby, decided he would ring up James O'Brien and tell him what he thinks that happened. Now, the insufferable gobsheen O'Brien initially likes John because John starts off the call by dissing Jeremy Corbyn, the former leader of the Labour Party. But then things got a bit, well, it went a bit sour then. Have a listen. John's informed me. John, what would you like to say? Yes, uh, I think a lot of the uh, Red Wall situation was to do with uh, keeping Corbyn out. Do you? Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, I think in a lot of elections, it, it's not a question of who's a great candidate. It's a, it's a question of who's the lesser of two evils. And, and Corbyn's ability to alienate huge swathes of traditionally Labour voting populations was legendary. Yeah, it was legendary. O'Brien is loving this. Any chance to diss poor old Jeremy Corbyn, right? So he's liking John from Formby. Yes. Well, uh, I think there's another factor which isn't discussed enough, but which I know a lot about living in the North. Yes. Is uh, the, the hatred of the political correctness which is forced down people's throats. <laughs> give me your best example, John. Well, uh, I, I could give you loads. Yeah, go on, then. Just uh, give me your best. Is, uh, give me your best. Give me your best. So O'Brien begins the badgering. Begins to badger the bloke because, well, James O'Brien has made a career out of political correctness and virtue signalling. This guy is, well, this guy is, this guy is, he's terrific on, on, on some level, James O'Brien. He starts to badger the guy, to give him an example. And the guy gives him an example. A, a school trip from yes. um, a, um, a school in Bradford to the Slavery Museum in Liverpool. Yes. And uh, the white pupils who wanted to go were not allowed to go. You see, I'm 99% certain that's not true. What? What a dick. How does he know that it isn't true? Go on, John Informby. Educate him then. <laughs> well, I'm afraid you, you let your um, bigotry get the better of you. Oh, no, 99%. I've spoken to several of these people. I love it. You're letting your bigotry get the better of you, says John. Listen to O'Brien furiously tapping the keyboard as he tries to determine whether John is making up the story about the white kids not being allowed to go on the Slavery Museum trip. Listen to O'Brien banging that keyboard. <laughs> well, I'm afraid you, you've got your um, bigotry... So you hear him tapping away at it, it's hilarious. Get the better of no, no, 99%. I've spoken to several of these people. OK. Um, what was the school called? I can name it. Yes, go on. Yeah, it was Buttershaw, and the, the headmistress was uh, Mrs Hedge. And you voted in the general election because of a school trip from a school in Bradford? 
In part, yes. Okay. Should we say that again out loud? Yeah. Sarcasm is the last refuge of the totally shit radio presenter. And he neatly avoids apologising to John after furiously typing on his keyboard to try and denounce John as a liar to check if what John was saying is true. It is true. So he decides to try and embarrass him rather than acknowledge that yeah, you're right, and that is a bit silly that the white pupils couldn't go on the slavery museum excursion. You, you cast your vote in the general election because of a story about a school trip from a school in Bradford. Which politician do you think of, was, um, was most uh, responsible for that? To, to ban bacon from a, a, a multicultural day centre. Yes, and, and well, I suppose... Yes, says Brian. So John says, look, multicultural day centre, they decide to ban bacon. These are the things that kind of annoy me. I, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and, and genuinely believe that a plan to ban bacon from a multicultural day centre that you don't attend influenced your voting decisions. That's gaslighting there as well, that you don't attend. How does he know whether the gentleman attends or not? Listen, this is standard. This is stock behaviour by the mainstream media. You see, I spend a lot of time in the northwest and the north of the UK, and I have lived in the north and the northwest of the UK off and on for, 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 for several years, and I talk to a lot of people. And, and you're a nice person, and I'm a nice person, we would have asked John, especially as he talked about Corbyn earlier on, we would have said to him, what is it that bugs you, John? Is it the hijacking of the Labour movement by groups like Momentum, for example? Is it groups like that, you know, that are basically dreaming up policies like, like these, you know, fixing problems that don't exist, you know, protecting vulnerable people? and pissing people off by telling them what they can and can't say and how they can and can't say it. Is that the issue, John? Because there's, there's something interesting in that. But Noah Bryan decides that he's going to try and embarrass him. You see, guys like John are pissed off at being told that they, you know, under penalty, under penalty, potential penalty, of being arrested for hate speech, they must believe that a great big bloke with five o'clock shadow and a massive bulge in his trousers, they, they must believe that that's really a woman. And by saying it isn't, they could be prosecuted for hate speech or be given a visit by the local constabulary, as it were. That's what's really going on there. I thought that was interesting today. I'm going to see a lot of this going forward. Within the uh, in, in the next two to three years. What I mean by that is hate speech. The government wants, wants to make misogyny a hate crime, and it's going to be able to do that. The police crime and sentencing bill was sent by the government to the House of Lords last week, wasn't it? It was. It was debated in the Lords, and on Monday or Tuesday, the House of Lords sent the bill back to the House of Commons, to the MPs, uh, primarily because the House of Lords was concerned about plans to make protesting more difficult, to give the police more powers to stop protests from being disruptive or noisy. But uh, the Lords had no problem whatsoever with misogyny being uh, listed as a hate crime enshrined in law, meaning that a judge could give somebody who commits a crime against a woman a harsher penalty if it was believed that the man's crime was motivated by hatred of women. 
And how do you determine whether his crime was motivated by hatred of women? Well, that's left up to the victim to determine. It's lunacy. That's the sort of stuff that guys like John, who would have voted Labour all his life, who, who would have said, now I know it's a Conservative Party policy, I'm unaware of it, but it's, it, it came straight out of Tony Blair's government, that. Guys like John, I voted Labour all my life, but I can't bear this nonsense. Just leave people alone. Freedom of speech, freedom of thought matters. You know, imposing ideas on children about race and about slavery, madness. I don't like it. I'm blaming the the Labour Party locally, the Labour-held local authority for that. That's why I voted for the Tories last time. Even though he's learning now, it didn't make a blind bit of difference. It's 24 minutes to the top of the hour. I'm going to read more of your comments. I suppose I'm with you now till 7 o'clock. Lots going on. On Waterford City, Clifton came back to me to say, Richie, true story. He says, uh, should I read this before I read it? I will. I'll read it in a minute <laughs> before I read it out live because I don't know what it's going to say. <laughs> so, Hi to Patricia. How you doing, Patricia? Thanks so much for your message. I really appreciate that. Uh, Jake says, Zionist Chill and grifter Tommy Fornames Robinson told his deluded followers to vote for Boris due to Boris's stance on immigration. Thank you, uh, Jake. Lucy says, Richie, I love those James O'Brien snippets. I couldn't listen to the man, though. Thank you for doing so. I don't listen to very much of him at all, to be honest. Uh, I don't. Richard says, why does a dog lick his private parts? Because he can, says Richard. That's true. It's gone way downhill now, this last half an hour. It's gone way downhill. Al came back on to say, surely half of both Liverpool and Manchester could also claim to be Irish. Yes, lot of Salfordians of Irish heritage, no doubt about that. He says, my great-granddaddy was O'Kane, O, apostrophe, Kane, but dropped the O. He's from near Derry. Does that make me Irish? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Not at all. Both your mother, your father, and both of your Sets of grandparents have to have been born in Ireland, in my opinion, or you're not Irish. I don't believe any of that, lest anybody think I'm some sort of bigoted. I don't, I don't believe any of it. Darren says, in Ireland, in, in supported, what? I supported Ireland in the 1994 World Cup, he says, so I'm a quarter Irish. Yes, England famously didn't qualify for the World Cup in America in 1994 where Ireland beat Italy in the Giants Stadium in New Jersey in the opening game with a Ray Houghton goal, and we all went mad. We all went mad. Tom Moore says, Richie, just a wee comment. As one of your listeners mentioned, the Czech Republic, uh, I report from Slovakia. Just today, puppets in the so-called Slovak government did a very similar thing. They will not be requiring mandatory jabbing from today while they set stricter rules on wearing masks. Ridiculous as they were then, uh, they are now. And another listener opined that there is something else to push onto us 
uh, in the meantime, which I would agree with. There's something lurking in the shadows, something to come. He goes on to say, Tom, there is a Ukraine versus Russia theatrics. That's being pushed out quite strongly onto the public consciousness. Uh, I mentioned too, in one of my recent comments on here, that Slovakia has just made defence cooperation agreement, uh, a defence cooperation agreement with the United States. Yet to be ratified, but our president very likely will do so which would allow American GIs to use the Slovak military airports and other facilities. I'm not fear-mongering, he says, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's true, it's going on. It is going on. Didn't speak about that much today. Wes says, as after Ireland has shown itself to be a bit on the cowardly side, maybe the reverse claim of origin will happen, says Wes. Irish people with spirit, Irish people who turned their backs on the mask mandates, we might start claiming to be American. Maybe. Maybe. Why not? I, I don't know. I couldn't claim to be proud to be Irish these days. You know? The fighting Irish? No. No. No fighting Irish at all. Craig says Timothy Dalton was closer to Ian Fleming's original character than either Connery or Moore. I liked him, says Craig. That's true. I've heard that said before by Bond aficionados. Yes, that he was closer. I didn't read any of the books myself. Never read a Fleming novel. Maybe it's worth picking them up. Maybe, is it? Might do that. Why not? Why not? Let me scroll on down. So many comments this afternoon. Thanks for staying with me, by the way. I love it. Dean came back on to say, after the mandate for care workers in November at the home, Richie, apart from the clinical commissioning group using the capacity tracker, which is basically me putting numbers into an online system daily, nobody asked to see any evidence of vaccine status for the staff. None. They could have all not had the jab and I just could have lied. It just shows how it all works. While the system lies its tits off Daily. We tell the truth daily and the feckers know this. Well, dear listener, I'll tell you this much and I'll tell you no more. I received an email today. I've asked the gentleman to come on and talk with me, but I don't think he will. I received an email today from a chap who's working in the health service. And he said, Richie, do you know it's really, really easy to beat the lateral flow test? He sent me an email, four or five paragraph long email. He said, at home, if you take a lateral flow test at home and it comes back positive for COVID, he said, well, you can just lie about it, right? So you, you take the test, comes back positive, you've probably not got COVID-19. You can then inform the relative authority I don't mean authority, it might be your, 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 your employer. You might have to take one for work or for school or for teaching in schools. So you could take it and say it came back negative. In that instance, nobody is looking at the result. However, there are some instances, he said, like in hospitals, where you might have to show your little lateral flow thing. It's like a pregnancy test, right? You might have to show that to a superior Therefore, your word wouldn't be good enough. You'd need to demonstrate, you'd need to produce the thing. He said, in that instance, he said, I found that the lateral flow test comes with the, the little thing that looks like a pregnancy test. It also comes with a swab, which you're supposed to swab, stick it up your nose and move it around. Now, you are supposed to then 
put the the cotton bud thing with the sample from your from your nasal cavity. You're supposed to dip that in a solution, which is part of the testing kit, and then you're, that's in a little vial, a little vial of liquid, and then you're supposed to pour the solution onto the test, almost like a pregnancy test, to get the result. This guy got in touch with me today, and he said, Richie, a lot of people I know, they don't do the nasal swab at all. They simply pour the little vial of solution onto the lateral flow test, and that immediately gives a negative. And nobody is any the wiser. He basically said to me in this email, it's all monumental bollocks. Because I was saying I would never take a lateral flow test in order to attend a concert in Manchester. Never. Ever. And of course I wouldn't. I'm not going to play ball with a totalitarian, tyrannical system. No chance. Now I'm not saying I would do it now and, and, and perform the little, the little, the little uh, fix that my, my, my NHS listener told me about. But it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, he said, don't dip... First of all, don't take a nasal sample. Certainly don't dip it into the solution. Just pour the solution onto the little plastic thing where it's supposed to go. And hey, presto, you get your negative. You get your bloody negative, eh? It's all right, that, isn't it? Not a little fix, like a little cheat. That's a little cheat, that. And I like it. This is David Bowie, David Bowie. David Bowie, let's dance on the Richie Allen Show. It's coming up for 12 minutes to the top of the air. Wednesday's programme. Just to, to tell you about that doctor, because I mentioned earlier on there's a retired GP on the programme tomorrow who's written a very interesting book. He seems like a lovely gentleman too. Let me find his name for you there. Let me find his name. And I'll also be speaking tomorrow with another candidate, uh, another, uh, uh, that, that by-election in South End, South End West, isn't it? I'll be speaking to another candidate. It's Paul Hobday, former GP Dr. Paul Hobday, will be on the programme tomorrow. And by all accounts, you do not want to miss that. That'll be uh, on tomorrow's show. Dean Smith from the care home came back on, excuse my voice, still got this lurgy. Dean Smith came back on to say uh, there are many ways to skin that particular cat, you know, with the testing and all of that. You can log it without doing the test at all. The Q code is the only thing the system needs to scan and then you tell it the result. It's absolute vaudeville, this, isn't it? Can you imagine if there was a genuine pandemic, a real pandemic, where the consequences of being infected and passing it on were really dire. Can you imagine it? Like a genuine one. Like like Captain Trips from Stephen King's The Stand. Remember that? Stephen King's The Stand. Great, great dystopian novel. Great novel. Where the flu appears in the world on steroids. A flu so bad that it wipes out most of the world's populations. Great. They did one very good film adaptation of it years ago. It wasn't a film. It was a mini-series with Gary Sinise and Jamie Sheridan. 
Jamie Sheridan played Randall Flagg and Gary Sinise played Stu Redman. Molly Ringwald was in it. So the original Stand miniseries, circa 1994, is very good. The most recent imagining of The Stand starred your man Skarsgård. Alexander, is it Alexander Skarsgård? He's a Scandinavian actor, well, Scandinavian-American. His father, famous actor, Stellan Skarsgård. Anywho, that's garbage. I think it was on Netflix, was it? Absolute rubbish, the recent remake of it. But the original is very good. Yeah, so Captain Trips. So if we had something like Captain Trips, which was genuinely deadly, do you think the tests they hand to people would be so utterly feckin' garbage? Do you really believe that? Or that they would allow people, you know, that they would take people at their word. (laughs) Imagine it. Listen, here's the test now. Take it yourself and, and when you're done, log online and just use the Q code. Just scan the thing or whatever and sure we'll believe you. Of course not. The Mickey Mouse testing in its in in and of itself is proof enough to me that this is just nonsense. All of this, you know, the PCR tests. We know they're not supposed to amplify them. The the tests they're not supposed to amplify the samples more than a few times, and they've been doing it thirty times and forty times to get a deliberate positive. We know all that. But these lateral flow tests, do you really believe if the the, the so-called disease was deadly that they just trust the likes of you and me? You know? Oh, sure they would. It's feckin' garbage, all of it. And you know this thing? There is a temptation. I'm not succumbing to the temptation, but there is a temptation to, to just relax a little bit and think, well, it's great now that Boris Johnson said today that the mask mandate ends... No, no COVID certification from next week, from the twenty sixth. That's that's when that's that's next Wednesday, isn't it? It is next Wednesday. Again, how arbitrary! Why not just announce it now, today? So it's tempting to be kind of happy about that, but I'm not. And a number of you have said this on comment live on the website today. I'm not either because we know this is not going away. That this is the beginning of something rather than the end of it. Is the climate thing next? Might they relax the virus bullshit for for a year maybe? For six months? For two years? And in the meantime, might they ramp up the garbage about how climate change is killing people around the world? And that needs to be addressed and start on that agenda, which of course comes with restrictions of its own, restrictions on where you can travel, where you can go, what you can do, and what you can say. That's what I think, you know. I think that's going to to accelerate too. But as for being happy about this today, no, I'm not really. I'm, I'm happy for those who are happy. You know, people who are asked to wear masks in work and stuff and They've had no choice. They can't afford not to be working. I'm happy for those people. They'll be happy. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I I don't buy for a minute that this is anything positive. And I don't buy for a minute that the architects of the agenda are in retreat. 
Not a chance. There's no going back from this, really. And don't forget, regardless of... You, you and me, we might argue. We might haggle about the numbers of the jabbed. We might argue. We have argued, I think, you and me. But we always part company as friends. We don't fall out with each other because we disagree. I think more people are jabbed than, than you think. Or at least some of you think. And again... What do I know? You might very well be right. It's a game of opinions. I think, I think, in this country, I think most adults have probably had the bloody thing. And you know, I think they might settle for that for now. That might even be more than they expected. They might be like, yes, that, that went better than we had anticipated. We'll just ease off the pressure now. We'll keep the agenda moving forward, but we'll do it using other games. This is the virus game, which is bullshit fiction. Let's now move on. We're getting a bit bored. It's like it's like playing computer games. You get bored of one after a while. Let's now go down the climate change game. And also, let's play the online harms game. Let's start shutting down great swathes of the internet to, to people who resist our agendas. You know, people who make their own content, people who do independent journalism. That's all coming as well in 2022, so I don't know. Look, your guess is as good as mine. I'm just a bloody presenter, and I'm not saying that now in any way being falsely modest. I genuinely mean it. I just sit here gobbing off. You know as much as I do. Some of you have been following these agendas longer than me, going way back. So, so you have a deeper knowledge of, of some of the, you know, some of the, the patterns. So we'll have to wait and see. Will it change next week or the week after if Johnson is booted out of Downing Street, for example? If he is, if 54 letters are sent to Sir Graham Brady of the 1922 committee, if there is a leadership contest, if he loses that, excuse me, if, excuse me, if there is a vote of no confidence, because of course if he loses that, he's gone. And then two or three or four others will contest the leadership. So if Johnson ends up getting his P45, could that swing it back towards the virus game? I don't know. It's fascinating me, is what it is. A couple of very interesting guests tomorrow. Dr. Paul Hobday will be on, and a candidate in Southend will be on. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. At least I think a candidate from, from, from Southend will be on, because I've had a, a text message uh, from a friend of the programmes. If I can just bring it up there. I am dreadful. I can't use this new phone. First world problems. I genuinely can't. I wish to God I'd gone with the Samsung. And I'm not, I'm certainly not advertising that. Yeah, Carol from Freedom Alliance was on to me, so I'm, we might do that tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm going to say adieu. Thanks for listening today. I hope you got something out of it, uh, listening to me rant on for two hours. We will do it again tomorrow at five o'clock. As I said, back to normal. Two guests. In the meantime, look after yourselves and one another. Because she keeps me company and sends me tidbits of very important information, I'm closing the programme with this for the grand diva of Connemara, Jean-Anne Crowley. Speak tomorrow. Bye. They seek him here.